Today I'd like to share with you um, something that is a continuation of uh, Ji Hong's message uh, last Sunday. Uh, I hope all of you get to hear it or to watch it um, uh, because it was very, very, uh, very, very much, I feel, a, a word from the Lord to us. And he shared about the, the whole aspect of um, putting off the old person and putting on Christ. And I was very, very blessed by it, and, um, and so was my whole family. And uh, I, I feel that it was so compelling that um, my message uh, can only be called a continuation of Ji Hong's message. Okay? And uh, if you can turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, I will, will read uh, that passage uh, so that we get a background of today's message. Right? Let's have a look at it. Colossians chapter 3, we'll read it from verse 1, and I'll be reading from the NRSV. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, yeah? Since you have been raised with Christ, or if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, and not things that are on the earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, your life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Amazing. Put on death, put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of such things. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourself with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. If anyone has a complaint against one another, against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body, and be thankful. This is a great passage of, uh, of scripture, and I, I'm, I was very struck by two things, especially that Ji Hong mentioned in his sermon. The first thing had to do with the fact that when you clothe yourself, he mentioned Doctor Strange, and he mentioned the cloak of levitation, and he said something about that cloak of levitation that is surprising. It was not like Superman's cloak, which is just for decoration. It was not uh, a cloak that was that, that that had no effect, that had no will of its own. Actually, that cloak had a will of its own, and the cloak did not subject itself to Doctor Strange's will. A very strange kind of cloak. And when uh, he mentioned that, he was relating that to the fact that when we are clothed with Christ, we are clothed with something that has ascendancy over us. It is not a resource to us, but it is a submission of our will to the will of God. That's an amazing thing. I was very, 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 very struck by that, and it made me want to look at the Marvel series again. But um, that struck me very, very greatly. The other thing that he said that struck me was an example that he used about the cloaking of himself with humility. It's interesting that the example that he used was an example that was in some ways, a negative action in which the clo- cloaking of, hu- of humility was a restraining force. Not actually just a motivating force, but it was, it's not just a driving force, but it was a restraining force. And he, what he said is that as he put on humility, he found that in certain situations that he was in, God was restraining him from speaking or from doing certain things. And that also struck me because there is something that I'd like to talk about, which uh, I feel the Lord has for us from that message and now today's message, and it is the grace of restraint. The grace of restraint. 
the grace, when we use the word grace, we have to be very, very careful that what we mean is the supernatural life of God. So when we talk about restraint, we talk about it as something that God has supernaturally given to us, not by anything that we can earn for ourselves or anything that we can do to manipulate it into existence, but because of the fact that God, by His own very, very will, by His own fiat, gives it to us, the grace of restraint. Now, some of us may be thinking, oh, that's so boring. What, do I, what I want is the, the, the grace of freedom to be able to do stuff. To be, I, we, I want a power to be able to have the freedom to do what I need to do or, or, do what, or to get what I need to get or to achieve what I need to achieve. But there is something about the example that, that, that um, Ji Hong speaks about that is actually very true to the text. If you look at the text, the things that, um, that um, Paul is speaking about uh, when we have to get rid of such things, verse 8, now you must get rid of such things, okay? Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. There's a certain list of things that are actually uh, characteristic of what St. Augustine called the sins of concupiscence. What he, what he calls the sins of concupiscence I have to do with uh, what may be translated or uh, interpreted as the sins of passion, the sins of drive, the sins that drive you. They have a certain drive in themselves. They have a certain desire in themselves. They may be sexual. They may be the desire that comes for, for the need for power or the, the, the need to authenticate ourselves or the, the, the desire of the will to subjugate everything else to itself. But the sins of concupiscence are sins that uh, uh, that ancient uh, philosophers, uh, moral philosophers, uh, characterize a certain kind of um, of a moral wrong. And then there's other things that are like sins of, of of a commission, things that we do that not do not arise out of our passions, out of that drive. And uh, what I want to talk about is the fact that when Christ says, "Put on." When Paul says, put on Christ, you're putting on a cloak of restraint. A grace of restraint that is not just a negative force or a passive force, but it's a power that sets us free from certain bondages that we have that drive us. That certain bondages that are sins that have come because of the fall, because of a wounding of a breakage of the heart because of the fall. And so I'd like to be able to talk about this as we, as we go into, into it. In the meantime, I'd like to read a poem. Um, and here it goes. I, I heard this poem read in the British Council when, uh, when I was in Malaysia and I was a high school student. And uh, I hope you like it. And I hope that it will be familiar to some of you. Here, here it goes. I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction. Cause I try, and I try, and I try, and I try. I can't get no. I can't get no. When I'm driving in my car and the man come on the radio, he telling, he's telling me more and more about some useless information supposed to fire my imagination. I can't get no, oh no, 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 hey, hey, hey. That's what I say. I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction because I try and I try and I try and I try. I can't get no I can't get no. When I'm watching my TV and a man comes on and tells me how white my shirts can be, but he can't be a man because he doesn't smoke the same cigarettes as me, I can't get no. Oh, no. No, no. Hey, hey, hey. That's what I say. I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no girl reaction. Because I try, and I try, and I try, and I try. I can't get no. I can't get no. And I 
because the poem is so long, I will not be able to finish writing it. And many of you know, um, yeah, why don't you write in the chat who you think the author or the poet is. Go ahead and write in the chat and see whether you know the, 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 the poet. And for those of you who don't know, or perhaps have never heard of it, the poet's name is Mick Jagger from the Rolling Stones. But I think that describes the certain insatiable wound that we all have. And that has to do with the fact that in the, during the fall, something of sin damaged us to such an extent that we are now in bondage to this breakage or this, this hole that has been carved into our soul, into our ego. So much so that for the rest of our life, we are driven by an insatiable search to assuage our fears, our wounds, our unfulfilled desires. There is something about our soul that has been wounded to such an extent that concupiscence or that desire is a desire that's no longer a positive desire to, to, to a large extent, but it is a desire that is a negative desire to satisfy or vindicate or to, to take care of or to heal or to compensate for that hole that has been taken place, that has taken place through the fall. So that when we think about freedom, our freedom is, 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 is tainted by a, a freedom that is, that, is, uh, that is thwarted by bondage. We are in bondage to these desires. And when Paul speaks about the fact that we put on Christ, you'll be surprised that the first thing about putting on Christ is putting on the grace, the power of God to deal with these bondages, to deal with these things that are actually a hole. There's a desire that's inside us, a, 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 a desire to authenticate ourselves. And the jealousy is one of those things. Jealousy is, is, is based upon a, a certain wound that causes us to feel that we are unjustified, to feel that we have to, 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 to satisfy the, and slake the thirst for that which we do not have. And so we're constantly functioning from a hole inside. It's almost like the, the donut hole. We are like the hole in the donut. Our desire is like a donut, like it has a hole in it. It's not filled. And um, as a result of that, um, what Paul speak, is speaking about in terms of the putting off is, a, is, is that concupiscent desire, this desire that can never get justified, that can never get satisfied uh, in this. And so I just want to uh, talk about this because when Paul speaks about the fact that we are to put on Christ, that putting on of Christ, uh, he may not realize, is a putting on of Christ that restrains us, that causes us to not just be, be thwarted, but to actually experience the power of God to not only satisfy us, to, but to break the power of that bondage. T.D. Jakes, uh, I remember uh, a statement that he said. He said, one, one stroke of anger, one fit of anger can cause you to end up in prison for the rest of your life. And there's this anger, there is the lack of justification, there's the hurt, there's wounds that we all have, there's bitterness that we all have that cause us to want the freedom, but our freedom is not just a freedom of self, uh, of, 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 of free will, but it's a, it, 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 it runs into our, our self-will. Our self-will actually thwarts us, our desire for freedom, because every time we want freedom, we, we, we have no other way to get healed from the, our, our deficits except by compensating for that, by either by defeating the other person or defeating an opponent or taking revenge from, from someone or dominating over another, another person. Um, and so there, there are different manifestations of that. I want to start with that point. And that point has to do with the fact that our putting on of Christ 
many people won't, won't realize, is not just a putting on of a certain power like a hero, uh, uh, an action hero has to be able to do whatever they want, to will their, 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 um, their need into existence, into, into assuaging, into, into vindication, but actually it is the power that first of all deals with our bondage. There is bondage in our own willful freedoms. There is bondage in that. And uh, I wonder, before we continue, I want to pray with us so that God can, even as I'm speaking, even as we are, we, are, we, are, we are discussing this, can experience some of that freedom, even as the word is going forth. Let's pray. Lord, we welcome you. We ask you that even now that you will speak to us. We ask you that you would uh, take up your word and cause us to, to experience its effect upon our lives. We ask you that even now that you will really do a work in us. We welcome the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And we ask you, Lord, that you will open up your word to us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Turn with me, please, to Isaiah chapter 52. Isaiah chapter 52. In the light of the new covenant uh, in which what Christ has done is that he has set us free from the old person and put in us his own self in us, we can now look at certain Old Testament passages in the light of the New Testament. And so one of these passages that I'd like us to look at uh, is Isaiah chapter 52. Okay, let's have a look at this. Isaiah chapter 52, it says, Awake, awake, put on your strength. There you go, there's that put on. Put on your strength. Remember, notice it's your strength. Spoken to the children of Israel, um, and the time frame that a lot of uh, scholars agree with is that time frame in which there has been the exile and the children of Israel have been scattered. The temple has been destroyed. The Babylonians have taken captive many of the, of the, of the Israelites, of the, of the Jews, the, those from Judah. And Isaiah is speaking that there is a new era coming in which that freedom from exile is actually going to be um, effected upon us. So he says, awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. And Zion is the name for not just physical, political Israel, but the identity of the people of God. Put on your strength. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For the uncircumcised and the unclean shall enter you no more. Shake yourself from the dust. Rise up, O captive Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter Zion. For thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing. And you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, long ago my people went down into Egypt to reside there as aliens. The Syrian too has oppressed them without cause. Now therefore, what am I doing here, says the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away without cause? Their rulers howl, says the Lord, and continually all day long my name is despised. Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore in that day they shall know that it is I who speak. Here am I. Let's stop here for a little bit. In verse 3 to verse, uh, verse 6, what the, the, the prophet is saying is this, there is something about the identity of the Jews of, the, of Israel that is one of slavery, the one of exile. Said there is something that has taken place in the very identity of you as a nation and you as individuals in which you are, an, you are, a, you are a slave because Egypt characterizes, the slavery characterizes the inside, the soul. And there's also there's there's there's, there's, an, there's a repeat uh, parallel experience with the Assyrians in which Assyrians took them captive and they were exiled and they were exiled from Jerusalem, exiled from the presence of God, exiled from there. And he says these are the two things that characterize your soul. Your soul is characterized by slavery and exile. You're constantly in exile, looking for a home. You're constantly in slavery because you're, 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 you're being set into bondage as well. And that is why verse 1 to verse 2 is so radical because what God is saying is this, awake, put on your strength. Put on your beautiful garments. These are the priestly garments. For many, many, many commentators think that that's, that's what it's called. I agree with them that I believe that he's talking about the, the calling the priestly garments that are filled with jewels and filled with the calling and authority of God. Of course, in the Old Testament, this was something that was 
typified, that typified the New Testament, the New Covenant in which we have been made priests with God, a royal priesthood that can actually enter in with authority against the powers of the enemy and hold, and hold our own with God through God's power and through God's grace. Isaiah 52 is, has to do with the fact that we as, as resident slaves and resident aliens are constantly um, 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 contending with the fact that we are we have a hole in us. We have a bondage in us. And we are constantly um, filled with uh, compensatory acts, trying to compensate, trying to, 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 to overcome our passions, our desires and our anger and our bitterness, our concupiscence. And then he says, awake, awake. And he reminds us of Colossians chapter 3 that we just read. Colossians chapter 3 is fulfilled. It fulfills Isaiah chapter 52. In the Old Testament, they could never fully awake. They could never fully put on the garments of, 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 of the priesthood. But only in Christ, because of what Christ has done. Because only Christ could actually destroy the old person, the old man, the old life, the life of the flesh, and put on and cause us to be putting on Christ. And so, it's very interesting, you see, the Old Testament has these types, these, these foreshadowings that are only fulfilled in the New Testament, in the New Covenant. Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, for the uncircumcised and the unclean shall enter you no more. And when Isaiah is speaking about the uncircumcised and the unclean, of course he's speaking about the fact that the Jerusalem will not be destroyed, will not be destroyed by Gentiles, by the unclean. But he's also speaking about the, it's for, he's also speaking about the fact that there will come a time in which when the Messiah comes, the uncircumcised and the unclean will not taint you anymore, will not characterize your, your political or your individual identity or the identity as a people. Because the uncircumcision speaks about that concupiscence. It speaks about the fact that this, this bondage of the flesh, is holding you. And Isaiah's understanding that as he looks at the, 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 the further horizon of when Christ would come, there will come a time in which Israel will be able to, to wake up and awake from their stupor and from their bondage and put on who they really are, their true identity in, in Christ. This was never fulfilled in the Old Testament except periodically when God's Spirit would come upon men and, women, men and women of God and anoint them as prophets, sometimes as priests and kings, and sometimes faithful men would experience the Holy Spirit and He would come periodically and He would touch down upon them and, and anoint them for a particular purpose and then He would leave. But the day of Pentecost came when the Holy Spirit came upon them, so much so that they could put on Christ, that the Holy Spirit would be with them and He would be their beautiful garments. It says, your, put on your beautiful garments. It would be no longer borrowed. It would not, no longer be just foreshadowed, but it would be, be, be in them already. And so when Isaiah chapter 52 speaks about putting on the garments over the uncircumcision of our concupiscence, on our own anger, our own drives, our own um, uh, bondage, our motivations that are, are, are characterized by bondage and by, by chains and by uh, um, um, the need for deliverance. Isaiah is saying, you can be free now. You can be free from that. But you've got to understand this, that when you put on the beautiful garments, you're putting on something that overcomes, restrains and limits the powers of the enemy, the powers of your sin within yourself. I think our society is constantly looking for freedom. I was driving my, I used to drive the children to, to, to work, uh, to, sorry, to school um, every day. And I remember one commercial that would always appear. And in that commercial, it was a Nissan commercial, a very supercilious kind of man who was wanting to show how classy he was, will talk about the, the need not only for motion, but for emotion. And what he's talking about is not just a car that can go fast or that can move, but a car that can satisfy our great hunger 
for emotional satisfaction and emotional prestige, the sense of being having made it, that kind of drive that is in every one of us for what he calls emotion, not just motion, but emotion. I'm thinking about this and I, and I, and I, and I realize that there are two things that are in, in, in this commercial that are so telling. Number one, we want motion. We want to move forward in life. We want to move ahead in life. And what can sometimes happen is that we move very, very quickly into the wrong thing because our movements are motivated by bondage, by sin, by concupiscence, by anger, by fear, by sexuality, by the flesh. And what, uh, what, what uh, the, this Nissan commercial uh, is showing us is that there is this need for um, self-fulfillment, for, for a sense of prestige, but also a need that's an emotional need. A need for motion and emotion. Isn't it? Don't you think? And so you find that there is this hole, this hole in every one of our hearts that uh, can only be satisfied with God, with, by God. And I remember thinking about this. I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction. There's no satisfaction. And so what, may, I, may, I, may, I, may I perhaps change your, 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 your understanding of this putting on of Christ that you may still be having? And that is that the putting on of Christ is not just the freedom to get what ourself will want, but a freedom to be working with God. See, what God, God's intention was always that not that we would be working at variance with Him, but we'd be working with Him. God's desire was for us to, that for our wills, our emotions, our, our, our flesh, to be in coherence with Him. And there is a word that the theologians use, and the word is perichoresis. That had to do with the nature of the Trinity by which the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit were like in a dance together and they work in complete um, uh, um, um, unity with one another. One may be moving in, the other one may be moving out. And there was this perichorus, like a, like a dance. It's, 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 it's like a dance. And what God intended was for us to mirror the Trinity as well so that we can work with Him. So that in prayer, we're not just praying the things that we want and trying to drive our own wills into the, into, into the heart of God. No, prayer is a way in which God actually brings us into the presence, His presence so much so that we actually work in a perichoretic fashion. That means in a way that's like a dance with God. God impresses upon us, puts impressions upon us, puts desires upon us. Suddenly, we, in prayer, we begin to experience like a, a real sense of urgency. Not because we feel urgency, not because of our own weakness, but because of the fact that God is putting that in us. That's perichoresis. What God desires for us is that our soul be transformed. When Christ came, He came to restore that in us, so much so that our drives will not be the drives for our own self-fulfillment, but to be able to work with God. And there's a rest in that, and there's a, there's a, there's a transformation on the heart. God wants to do that in, in your, your, your life and my life, and He has already accomplished that in Christ. He has already put His Spirit within us, so much so that all that we need to be able to work with God, and not in a driven way, has already been given to us. Isn't that amazing? That's such an amazing thing that I, Isaiah chapter 52 speaks about the, 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 that priestly function where we can be in perichoresis with Him. That means dancing with Him, working with Him. And, and He begins to put His heart upon us, put His power upon us, His equipment to us, so that when we can see needs there, supernaturally God can cause us to, to bring healing, bring power, and bring transformation in people's lives. But there's something that the fall did, you see. The fall, because of sin, damaged us on the inside. So much so that every time... Um, Society speak about freedom. It's always tainted, right? It's tainted. Free enterprise becomes something that is tainted. It becomes corrupt. And nowadays we see these huge um, businesses that are now power, power crazy in that sense. And there's a way in which free enterprise, capitalism, um, and, and, uh, and a freedom in free markets and all that begin to be begin to reveal the sin that is in the people of that, of that, of that free economy. And what happens is that out of that comes the bondage of it. 
And out of that comes the bondage of greed, the bondage of uh, need to dominate, and the bondage of that. Now, you and I have that. And the good news is this: when, is that when, when uh, Isaiah and Paul says, put on Christ or put on your beautiful garments, what he's saying is this, God has given us power to restrain it. Now, if you don't understand the restraint, what you will only do is that you will catch the freedom to do whatever you want by the power of God and you will find that your own free will, your, your, or rather your, your own self-will, will destroy you. The concupiscence inside will destroy you. And what God wants to do is to set us free from that. And let's go a bit deeper then. These uh, things can sometimes be manifest. The, the bondage that's in us can sometimes be manifest by the need to be heard, constantly demanding to be heard. You're constantly never, never satisfied when you're not heard. The need to be heard just because of the fact that perhaps you've been silenced many times and the wound in there causes you and I to actually demand to hurt. We get very hurt when we are not heard or when we don't have a place to speak. And I believe in free speech and all that. But there is a bondage there. There's some bondage in there. It's not saying that you should not be heard. What it's saying is that the fact that you're not heard causes a wound, causes a hurt, and causes bitterness to happen. And so... What happens is that in, the, in our desire to get free, free, we are constantly asserting, 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 asserting. And when that happens, um, we get into more bondage. We want the freedom to not only be heard, that causes us to shut other people up perhaps. We also want the freedom to have a lot of choices. And I've seen how people feel very well pressed if they don't have all the choices that they have. When they go to the supermarket, they feel oppressed. The, the, the need for pride that is to compensate for the ways in which we've been humiliated, the way in which we can never feel satisfied, we cannot feel vindicated in ourselves. There's something deep in our soul that feels not vindicated, not justified, perhaps not righteous as well. And pride is the way in which we, and Ji Hong mentioned this as well, and this is, pride is the way in which we manifest our freedom to be able to grab, grab back our pride. I noticed that in, um, in our society here in the West, pride is seen as not that bad a thing. And I can see that there is truth in that. But there is something that is driving it. And perhaps pride is the thing that you have found has gone out of control. Yeah. We can't help boasting. We can't help it. It just slips out. It slips out. And uh, we feel bad about it. Getting credit for things. We live in a society in which credit is not given enough. Not fairly given. But there's a deeper problem there. There's a deeper sickness that we have. And that is the drive to, to, to always have credit to get credit for what we have, good what we have done. And if we don't have get credit, we become bitter. And the bitterness eats us up. And it makes very, very good people who have done good things that should have get, got, gotten credit for become very bitter people, very unhappy people. People who have been thwarted and their, and their lives have been characterized by this thwarting. And the thwarting because of unfairness, because of being passed over, because of being unfairly treated because of the devil perhaps, causes them to experience such a, 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 a shriveling up on the inside, a hardness. And when that ha- happens, it's very hard to hear from God. And the issue of just not getting credit, we are living in a, in, a, in a situation of damaged egos and uncontrolled passions to such an extent that even sex has become totally thwarted, it's being distorted to such an extent it's not love anymore, it's just dominance or it's some kind of um, aspect of concupiscence yeah? and so there's a way in which this cloak is a cloak that we all need we need the cloak of Christ the, the cloak of, what, what do you call this? of levitation that, thing that can war against the part in us 
that is wanting by sin to compensate for the wounds that have been, been put upon us. We can't live without limitations. We can't live without limitation because limitation hurts us so greatly. And yet the whole world, the whole thing about life has so much to do about living with limitations. And that we need the grace of restraint and the grace of limitation to be able to be freed from that. So much so that we can go into prison and find that the Word of God is not imprisoned. You see, what God has for us is not human rights. I'm sorry, that's not what the Bible gives us. The Bible gives us freedom such that the Word of God is not imprisoned. So much so that we can give up our freedoms and enter into non-free places and become missionaries and become people who can shine the light when the freedom is taken away. And for that to happen, you need that cloak of Christ. The cloak of Christ that not only gives us the power of God, but restrains the power of the flesh upon us. You see, the flesh cannot be bound. You can't bind the flesh. You can bind the devil, but you can't bind the flesh. The flesh cannot be, cannot, cannot be restrained by binding it. You try binding it, no matter how much you bind it in Jesus' name and all the other, all the other formulaic prayers, it won't work. The flesh that has an insatiable desire of concupiscence for its own satisfaction to make up for the, for the deficit that it has can only be de- dealt with by starving it. The only way in which the flesh can be dealt with is by starving it. But when in Christ, in Christ, when we put on Christ, God gives us the power to do that, or else you can't. The human old man cannot starve itself. The human person of the old, the, 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 the old person of sin cannot starve itself. But when Christ comes into to, to us, He gives us the power not just to bind it, but to actually cause it to be restrained, cause it to be limited. Cause the times in which you don't get a, uh, a, a, a hearing to not end up over speaking over other people or interrupting other people to be able to have that restraint and then, and then that restraint comes. It is peace. It is peace that comes. Not a sense of pent up um, dissatisfaction. Amen? I want to put it to you that actually that hurt that wants us to go in the opposite direction and say, no limits, no limits, is not the way of God. What God came to do is to put a cloak upon us and cause us to put on Christ so much so that those troublesome, tormentous, and tumultuous passions in us, the drive to actually compensate or make up for our own hurt, can be put to peace. That is supernatural. Because when that happens, you actually have victory over your anxieties, over your fears, and over your bitterness. If you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah chapter 30. What we have is a situation in which fear, one of those driving forces, had brought the leaders of Judah into panic alliances. The Assyrians were arising on the horizon in the east and uh, they were threatening the whole region and those of the, the leaders of, of, of Judah over many generations of kings became more and more anxious about their situation. And so they began to make alliances with um, Egypt. And uh, Isaiah chapter 30 speaks about a time in which this was happening. And I'm going to read to you a little bit from here. We'll read it from verse 1. O rebellious children, says the Lord, who carry out a plan but not mine, to make an alliance but against my will, adding sin to sin, who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my counsel, to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh, and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore the protection of Pharaoh shall be your shame." And the shelter in the shadow of Egypt, your humiliation. And then um, verse 7, For Egypt's health is worthless and empty. Therefore I have called her Rahab, or Egypt, who sits still. So go now, write it, them on, write it before them on a tablet and inscribe it in a book. So Isaiah is being spoken to 
to speak to the, the, the elders of Israel so that it may be for the time to come as a witness forever. For they are rebellious people, a faithless children, children who will not hear the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things, prophesy illusions. Their desire and their drive, their fear, had, had overridden any kind of prophetic utterance. They had over, overridden any kind of prophet, prophetic restraint um, upon the nation. Verse 15, For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you refused and said, No, we will flee upon horses. That's the motion there. Therefore you shall flee. Because you said you're going to flee on horses. <laughs> Isaiah says, ironically, and a bitter irony, therefore you will flee. You fulfill your own prophecy. And we will ride upon swift steeds, Therefore your pursuers shall be swift. A thousand shall flee at the threat of one, and at the threat of five you shall flee until you are left like a flagstaff on the top, top of a mountain, like a signal on a hill. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And you can see how the motion that is driven by our desire for freedom, but that's a, that's a desire that comes out of a hole, can cause us to go very fast, very, very fast in this. I remember one time when uh, we, were, we were wanting to refinance, several years ago, and uh, we needed to re- refinance. And I remember the, the, the kind of anxiety that we, we had, and we were in Malaysia, and we, we rushed to get a refinance done. And there was a way in which that move was not from God. Because when we managed to get it, we managed to catch up with all the, 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 the paperwork that needed to be done and all that, we found that where we had refinanced was terrible. We were ripped off and the bank that uh, we, we got a refinance from actually played us out in some ways. And yet there is another time in which during a period of some anxiety, the Lord actually led us to buy stocks. And I remember Cindy was feeling that the Lord was saying, I think he wants us to buy stocks because he wants to bless us. And it was during a time in which the stock market was kind of down. And as we bought these stocks, suddenly we realized that there was all kinds of forces that were going on inside us to to determine how we chose when to buy or when to sell. And it was not a long period of time. But I remember during those times when we were quite... you know, concerned about our finances. And God had told us to buy, He told us to buy gold, and He told us to buy some stocks, some stocks. There was a period in which timing was everything. Timing was everything. And we realized that in this whole process of buying and selling stocks and gold and all that, the Lord was going to lead us. The Lord would actually show us and for, that, for that, that leading of the Spirit to happen, something had to be overcome in us. That fear, that anxiety, that drive to rush to those powers and those voices that were in us had to be silenced. They had to be restrained. And it was a great experience for us because we learned that in being led by the Spirit, it was not just trying to listen to God and trying to be quiet. It had a lot to do with dealing with the concupiscence inside us, the fear, the passion, the desire, the greed if there was, the fear of loss that, that was definitely there. And it was in this place where we began to realize that before we do anything, we should pray. And as we prayed, we would pray until God gave us the peace. You see, if you, bet, if you try to move before the peace comes, before everything is brought to silence, what happens is this, you will be led by all kinds of forces which you will feel free to follow, but those forces are bondage forces. They are forces of fear, they are forces of, of anxiety, they are forces that are, are, are distractions, they are forces that come from hearing from everywhere else except God. But to be able to hear from God, you have to allow the cloak 
of Christ to come upon you and wait upon it until it prevails over you. It has to prevail over your own willfulness. And I remember that when we, when we did this, God really blessed us. God really blessed us. Uh, and I, and I, I'm not at liberty to tell you how much He blessed us, but He blessed us tremendously. But it was always a battle. A battle that He had to win. And with the children of Israel, what was happening was that Ashurbanipal, the, 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 the emperor of, of Assyria, was going through a at the, at the at the end of his of his towards the end of his life the latter years of his life he began to be passive he began to be more passive and more peaceful he was less of a of a of a threat but at that time the egypt was gaining ascendance over the levant over palestine the 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 the, the area we now call palestine the area we now call israel and that area israel was egypt was gaining power and it was at that time that the leaders of, Israel, of, of, of Judah began to go to Egypt. It seemed like the best time. But the time the, was, was governed by their own concupiscence, their own fear, their own anxiety, their own opportunity as well. And they were not listening to God. And so Isaiah comes to them and he, ta- and he says this, Woe to you because you are gonna, you're speeding on, the, on your swift horses to go after Rahab or go after Egypt. But... He will, he will be destroyed. Later on, of course, we see during the time of Hezekiah that, true enough, um, Assyria had ascended and Egypt was nothing. Egypt was completely um, um, uh, vanquished. They attacked, Assyria attacked Egypt first and then they came over to, 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 to Hezekiah and said, now what do you do? What do you do now? Look at your, look at your, your uh, strength. And then God says to them, there is this restraint. There is this discipline of limitation that I put upon you that will cause you not to have what you think you need, but, but you will have what you will want, ultimately. And so he says, In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. And then later on in verse 18, it says, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. He waits to be gracious to you. Therefore He will rise up to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for Him. Waiting is a restraining that requires the power of God. Waiting is like a bow that pulls you back. We are arrows. But many of us don't like bows because bows have a function and the function is to pull the arrow back. And the thing about, about that is, of course, you know, that it is only by being pulled back that a force great enough is built up upon the arrow so that the arrow will hit the mark but also penetrate the mark. Now I see a lot of times the church is filled with arrows that are just thrown out by hand without a bow because we don't like that limitation. We don't like restraint. But restraint is a bow that causes us to have power. That's why Isaiah chapter 40, uh, somewhere in all these discussions, Isaiah says, those that wait upon the Lord will change their strength, not just renew their strength. That, that means not just renew the strength that they have. It's actually the word is, is change. Cause a different kind of strength to, to happen. And it's in, re, in, that, in that restraint, in that waiting, and that, and that drawing of our attention towards God, even though we don't hear anything, but we set our heart towards Him. Strength is building up. Strength arises. Strength arises as we wait upon the Lord. So Isaiah chapter 40, 40 is the key because he's saying, in this restraint of waiting, I will cause you to gain strength. You are like an arrow that, yes, is pulled back. And there are some of us who are waiting and, we, and during that waiting, there is no recourse except to the Lord. We are constantly being put in situations where anxiety builds when we are in a waiting mode and we don't know what we are waiting for. We don't know whether anything is going to happen. But God is pulling us back. But as we, as in that waiting, what do we do? We just set our heart towards God and just wait upon Him. Just wait for Him. Just wait for Him. And ask God, give us the restraint of that cloak that restraint, that limitation of cloak, that by His power, by His Spirit, we are able to sit still. By His power, we are able to like not deal with 
and, and, and deal out of those concupiscence, the concupiscence that is in our heart, our desires, that, that, that has a bondage, that's bondage-filled. And it's in this that God actually holds us, holds us there. A sabbatical is something like that. But in all our lives, we need to be people who actually submit under the mighty hand of God that He will raise us up. So every time there's a bowl, we are being pulled back. And we are pulled back, but as we're pulled back, we feel the tension of it, but force is being put into the arrow. And that is why I feel that church, because of the lack of a bowl, usually it's just like arrows with very little impact. We just throw as best as we can to arrows and we call that powerful. It's not powerful. It's not powerful. You may call it powerful, but as far as God's concerned, those things are not powerful. Powerful words are not powerful. Only the power of God is powerful. And so sometimes we, we've got, we, we in the church have got so used to the lack of power that we call powerful things that are not really that powerful. They're just arrows that can sometimes hit the mark, but it doesn't penetrate, doesn't transform, doesn't break the cedars, doesn't change everything. It just makes, have, makes us have powerful emotions because of the fact that our arrows can be, can be quite accurate. But what's needed is a bow. Because what the bow does is that it takes the arrow, pulls it right back. It, and, and, it, and, it's, and it's pulling of the arrow right back causes a different kind of force to come upon it. And what God is doing is that He's actually pulling us. And guess what it says? It says that, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. That's an an interesting thing because a lot of times when we are waiting upon God, we feel we are the ones who are waiting. And we are, we don't want to wait any longer. We don't like to wait. What am I going to do when I wait? What do I do? Wait. What, What is there to do? Until you come to a point where you realize that in waiting, you set your heart towards God you realize that He has been waiting for you. I found many times in my own life when I'm waiting for God to move and I'm getting impatient, the Lord would correct me and put the cloak upon me and realize that in this long waiting period, He has business to do to empower me. Some of us are waiting for a job, waiting for somebody to call us, we're waiting for a a spouse, waiting for all this. And we're waiting for something to happen. And the waiting is horrible. You don't like it. And God is saying, I want you to wait upon me because once you do, then you will at a certain point find that I was waiting for you. And when you find me waiting for you, you will not think that you are waiting, but you will think, i got to hurry up and get with God because I have plenty for you to do. And I found that in my own times in which I've been strung out and waiting, when I set my heart towards God and stop asking, why, am I, why are you delaying? And I start asking, God, what are you doing? I find that He has been waiting longer than I have been waiting. That waiting brings us to the point where we suddenly discover God's waiting. And when that happens, then he's able to download upon you all the things he wants to do to increase power in your life. Isn't that amazing? And so that's why waiting, what waiting does is to bring us to that point in which we find in our spirit, in our heart, suddenly God was waiting. So it says here, to those Israelites who just felt that God wasn't doing anything, Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise to show mercy for you. And then he shows shows the children of Israel what he has in mind. Verse 19, Truly, O people in Zion, inhabitants of Jerusalem, you shall weep no more. He takes the weeping away because they are now filled with the agenda of God who had been waiting for him. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. And though the Lord may give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes shall see your teacher. See, some of us are waiting for God to speak. But if you're prepared to put away your waiting, put away the fact that, oh, I'm waiting, put away the fact that I need things to happen, and you're willing to say, God, I'll wait for you as long as you need me to, 
you will find your teacher and he will teach you things and he will put within you all the necessary ingredients for your destiny. And when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left, your ears will hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. Suddenly hearing happens. Suddenly you can hear the voice of God. When you just shift it from the fact that, ah, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, and it's my agenda to God. What are you waiting for? Then you will defile the silver-covered idols and your gold-plated images, and you will scatter them like filthy rags, and you will say to them, Away with you! And he will give you rain for the seed with which you sow the ground, and grain, the produce of the ground, which will be rich and plenteous. On that day your cattle will graze in broad pastures, and the oxen and donkeys that till the ground will eat silage, which has been winnowed with the shovel, shovel and fork. And there's more. I just wonder whether there are some who have found that they are in a desolate place. And what God has for you is not desolation. He is waiting for you. Some of us are desolate with respect to our inner drives. We are desolate with respect to our own self-will. But God wants to bring us into a place where we are not desolate. That we will experience seed and grain rich and plenteous. And it just happens when we allow God to say, let me restrain you. Let me give you the grace, the power of restraint so that you can give up those drives and I will cause you to be in a place of plenty and you will be not waiting. You'll be trying to catch up with God. Let us pray. There are some who have allowed impatience, bitterness, offences, wounds, to put such an edge upon your spirit that you're tormented night and day by hurt. There are some who have no patience for what God's doing and you've said in your heart, I don't want to deal with this anymore. And you've decided to walk away. And your life has been one of walking away from many things that God wants to deal with. And God is actually calling you. And you felt that you've been waiting. But today you've found God is waiting for you. Yes, Lord, we thank you that you are surrounding us right now, that this is a holy moment where you set us apart for you, and we acknowledge that sin has broken our heart as we've pulled out of the dance with you, as we have sought dances with the world that have not been good. And so we thank you right now. We pray this out. We pray out Isaac Watts' poem from 1707 about our teacher, see from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. And that's his broken heart for us. Did ever such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? His dying crimson, like a robe, spreads o'er his body Hmm. on the tree. Then am I dead to all the globe, and all the globe is dead to me. Mm. So we thank you right now Mm. that we reckon it so right now. Even if we don't feel it, we know that these things are true because you have done it. You've done it. You've paid the price, and it's been working for, for thousands of years already. So we let you put your cloak on us right now. Amen, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I really feel that God is bringing us into a place of healing. And if you'll be willing to enter into that room, He's going to heal places of 
anger, of bitterness, of unforgiveness. Even forgiveness is a, is a gift that God gives to us. And some of us are going to be healed by forgiveness. There's some of us who are going to be healed of anger. Some of us are going to be healed of fear, anxiety. Some of us are going to be healed of shallowness just because of the fact that we just never try to go deep with God. We just don't want to deal with things. But today God is here in the secrecy of his chamber to heal. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. And may I say to you that today, sorrow and love, the sorrows that you carry, can be mingled with his joy and his healing. We're going to go into a time of soaking and prayer. If you need prayer, feel free to receive prayer in the breakout rooms. But may I invite you to join us in the soaking room for things that perhaps have become bondage in your life, that have driven you, but which God is, by His grace, about to set you free from. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Amen.